I like what Pastor Sonny said earlier on. You may take your seat. <clears throat> that you know we got to. These are days in which we tell defeat. Defeat no more. Amen. We speak victory and life and authority and dominion into our circumstances. And we will refuse. Amen. <clears throat> I like just to park there. I think I can speak a message on I will refuse. Amen. It's time to refuse a lot of things which you've accepted in the past. Refuse it. Amen. <clears throat> you see, if you want to use your faith, you've got to use your mouth. Amen. If you want to get something in the store, you've got to open it and ask. The same thing in the spiritual realm. You've got to open it and speak for it. When you speak for it, you will get it. Amen. If you can talk it, you can take it. Amen. If you talk it, you can take it. If you could talk to the devil, you could take him out, Brother Donnie. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. If you could talk to that sickness, you could take it out of your body. Amen. If you talk to that mountain, you can say, be thou removed, and it will be removed. Hallelujah. So if you talk it, you can take it. Glory be to Jesus. Oh, let's talk to the devil. Be thou gone in Jesus' name, and he will go. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Tonight, I want to speak to you, share with you a word of God, the word from the Lord. The word from the Lord tonight. Amen. Oh, go build it like a champion. Go build it like a champion. I want us to look briefly at the book of Nehemiah. I want us to look how we are the generation of champions. We are the generation right now. I am facing a generation of champions. Hallelujah. Oh, God wants to say to you, build it like a champion. Nehemiah was called, and I won't go into the history, but you know it. He was called to build up the broken walls of Jerusalem. Number one, we are the generation of world shakers that will get God's attention and pay the price to hear from heaven. God's pace set in plan for the city's deliverance. Amen. Hallelujah. Nehemiah, it says there, and it came to pass. Verse 3, and they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. Great affliction. Oh, if we could only see the affliction of West, people in West today. They're afflicted. People in West are afflicted. Afflicted in their families, afflicted in their bodies, tormented in their mind, agitated in their souls, depressed in their inner man. They're afflicted, afflicted generation. Oh, if you want to be great, you've got to see how somebody else feels. Oh, it says there, uh, and reproach, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept. What does it take for you to weep over West tonight? What does it take for you to weep over the cities of Waco, Dallas, Houston, many cities that are in Texas, the many cities that are in America, New York, Los Angeles, Detroit? What does Chicago and many others what does it take for you to weep over your cities? What does it take? Where have God got to bring us to the point where we begin to actually weep for our cities? It says, I heard these words that I sat down and I wept. And I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And said, I beseech thee, 
Oh, this man was so serious about the state of the nation. He besought the Lord. He besought the Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God, that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him, and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive, and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, night and day, day and night, for the children of Israel, thy servant, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned. And he began to make intercession for this city. And when he appeared before the king, chapter 2, verse 2 says, the king said, why is you counting and sad? You see what was happening in the cities affected the way this man looked. Now we can look and have many looks, but this man looked sad because, not because of anything personal, but, but something that uh, the great king of kings had put in his heart. He wept because he's seen in the spiritual realm, he's seen in the natural realm, the walls and the gates broken down. He was a man sad because of the assignment. <laughs> Sometimes we get happy because of God's assignment, Brother Donnie. But how about the burden of the Lord? I'm talking about having the burden of the Lord. You see, we can be sad with our own burdens, Pastor Sonny. But when we have the burden of our Lord, it touches our spirit. It's not an emotional thing only. It's a spiritual thing. There is a time when being sad is a spiritual thing as well as an emotional thing because you are physically and emotionally as well as spiritually carrying the burden of the Lord for your city. You know, you cannot begin to even pray for the city until you begin to have a burden for the city. Because when you have the burden for the city, you will begin to make with intercession, which only the Spirit can make. Right deep down in your soul, spiritual man, you begin to pray in the Spirit. Mysteries. Because you know not ought what to pray for, but you know the burden is great. Psalm 22, 3, 4, verse 6 says, This is the generation that seeks thy face. I want to say tonight that we are that Nehemiah generation that is about to seek the face of God for our own city. This is the generation that seek thy face, that seek thy face, O Jacob. We are the Nehemiah generation that will intercede like Nehemiah did. We won't just come to a prayer meeting, but we will pray. We will intercede. We will get on our knees and we'll cry with broken and rent hearts, rent garments because of the state of our nation, our families and our cities. And we begin to cry and cry and cry and cry. And when we begin to travail, the word of God says that Zion shall bring forth. Amen. You want to bring forth something, you've got to get in the place of travailing in the spirit. Why have you not brought forth full churches? We pray but not travailed. Because you've got to travail is the final push of a pregnant woman to give birth to the son. And if we are to give birth to a nation, a church, a nation of God, the kingdom of God, we are to make a final push in a spirit, spirit of travail. And I believe even in this church is a spirit of travail. There's a spirit of travail. 
We are breaking in forth in your spirit of travail. And I want to tell you when I hear my brother Philip praise like he did and Sister Mark and Sister Anne and the, you others are praying in the travailing spirit, you're about to give birth to something. You're not just crying because of what you feel. You're crying because you're birthing something in the spirit. Do you know something is about to be born in Texas? Do you know you're about to give birth to something? Do you know something's about to come out of you, Brother Phil? Something's about to come out of you. Something's about to come out of you. There's a nation about to come out of you. A denomination. A visitation. A revelation. A change to the nation. Oh, something's about to come out of you. Oh, shall I not bring it to birth and cause it to come forth, says the Spirit of the Lord. The travailing church is the church of the 21st century. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Oh, it's the church of the 21st century. This is the generation that seek thy face, that seek thy face. Oh, Jacob, we're about to seek the face of God for our city. There are many walls broken down. Many families with broken hearts. Many doors caved in, broken down. We're about to seek God for them on their behalf. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, was it John Knox who said, Give me England or I die? Oh, is that? That's the spirit of travail. You know you've got a vision when you begin to talk like that. Oh, wasn't it Edwards who, who began to say, Lord, give me New England. Give me New England. Give me New England. For three days and three nights, he began to pray that prayer. Give me England. Give me New England. And it says that after three days and three nights, he got up into the pulpit. And before he uttered a word, people were convicted by the power and awesome presence of Almighty God that came from out of him. Hallelujah. Oh, how much, what does it take for us to get out of our little comfortable chairs and begin to do something in Texas that will make an impression in the devil's head forever? Hallelujah. Oh God, rid me of my spirit of slothfulness. Oh, if we don't do it, God will have to wait for the next generation. And that won't be funny because there by then a lot of people have gone to hell. Oh. We are the generation that will seek the face of God. And God will give you spiritual insight into the things. He will show you things to come. He says, I know I quoted it last week. He says, call unto me and I will answer thee. And he said, I will show you great now listen to that word. Great and what? Mighty. Great and mighty things which you knew not. In other words, you're going to have a, you're going to about to begin to see the heart of God. God's ex going to expose his heart to you as you travail. And you're going to have the heart of God. He's going to give you a heart transplant, Brother Donnie. Because you're going to feel what God feels. You're going to hurt like God hurts. You're going to cry like God cries. Because you have his heart. And you have his vision. Oh, and then you will become like David. You will serve God's purpose 
in your generation because you got a heart after God. Amen. You got a heart after God. Heart after God. Number two, we are the generation assigned and anointed to impact, challenge, and change those around us, assigned by God and empowered by the Holy Ghost. We are a generation who have the heart and the hope of deliverance for this generation. Amen. We have the heart and we have the hope. Nehemiah 2.12 says, And I rose in the night. And I rose in the night. Oh, shikara baudariyaba, shikara parayandala parayandala. Oh, and I arose in the night. I and some few men with me. You know, see, not everybody's going to run with your vision. Just a few. And I and some few men with me, neither told I any man what my, what my God had put in my heart. You see, it's no good doing anything for God unless it's in your heart to do it. Nehemiah had done the work because God had put it in his heart. It wasn't just an idea. God had put it in his heart. You can't do anything for God unless God has put it in your heart. God had put it in my heart. Oh, hallelujah. It's in your heart. And when it's in your heart, no man, no devil, no disappointment, no drought, no lack can take it out because it's in your heart it's part of you and for and for the devil to take it out of your heart he would have to take you out with it and how many of you know the devil can't do that if you're going to do anything in Waco in West it's got to be in your heart but Gary if you got to do anything in Wales it's got to be in your heart hallelujah Sabrina it's got to be in your heart it's got to be in your heart it's in your heart day and night it's in your heart you cry about it. You weep over the town like Jerusalem. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. He wept and he cried. Oh, I wanted to bring you together like a hen brings his chicks, but you wouldn't listen to me. Oh, is that the cry of you over your nation today? Ne Nehemiah began to cry and God put it in his heart. This is a generation of champions. The generation of champions have the vision in their heart. Isaiah 58, 12, 12 says, Thou shalt raise up the foundation of many generations. Hallelujah. And thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach and restorer of paths to live in. When I was a little boy, or, or rather, yes, when I was small, I used to run down the woods, play in the woods. Brother Wes, and I remember running down a little road, little pathway. I remember that path was so clear when I was just a little kid. Bluebells, multitudes of bluebells went for about a mile and a half through this woods. Trees, big trees, a little river and stream. I loved that little wood. I loved that little wood. A beautiful place, nice and quiet and everything was beautiful. The paths were clear. I went there back about maybe about six years ago and I couldn't find that little path anymore. You see, it was overgrown. Nobody bothers to go there anymore because no doubt the kids, mothers don't allow the children to play in the woods because things probably may have happened in the past that put fear in them. Therefore, they do not go that way anymore. They stay away off that path. And now it's covered over 
with debris, leaves, broken twigs and branches and brambles and, and mud and oh, you see the pathway is not clear anymore but God is restoring in these days brother Lloyd you shall be a restorer of paths you are going to restore the pathway to your son who's right now looking where am I to go how do I get from A to B young people you do not know how to walk certain paths in life you, because you think, well, I shouldn't get married because my parents had a divorce. The, the pathways of marriage have been covered over with the debris of failed marriages. And nobody will walk the path down the altar, come to the preacher and before God to make a covenant. You see the pathways today, apostolic paths. Paths have been covered over. Talked to a woman the other day in the tent. I said, have you born again? Yes. I said, have you got the Holy Ghost? Yes, do you speak in tongues? No, I don't believe in it. Pathways covered over with a debris of religion and man's idea. Oh, man's offenses. People offended by people talking in tongues. Debris, 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 debris. People are baffled and confused. But it says, you shall be in this generation. You shall be. You shall be. Like Nehemiah, he repaired the breaches. He repaired the breaches. You shall be a repairer of the breaches. The breaches. You shall be a restorer of the pathway. Hallelujah. There are paths assigned to this generation to walk. And you, they can't get to their destiny anymore. Everybody's struggling in the woods. They want to get out the other end two miles up the road. But they're struggling right where they are. Oh, you know the way, my sister. Spirit of God have taught you the way. You know the way. Command those devils, walk ye this way. Hallelujah. The demonic devils assigned to block the pathways of this young generation. Young men and young women do not know how to walk anymore. They do not know how to talk anymore. They do not know how to have a relationship, Brother Phil, where they fathers, they do not know how to respect and honor their mothers. They do not know how to serve their brothers. Every man is out for himself. They have lost the broken pathway, the pathway to spiritual honor. There is no honor in the city because man does not know how to honor man. Oh, man does not know how to respect women. Children do not know how to respect authority. No broken pathways, barren altars, broken hearts. Man is searching. Show us the way. You are a restorer of the breach, a builder of the paths for them to walk in. Oh, hallelujah. Will you pray? Will you be a, a repairer of the breach? Oh, thou shalt raise up the foundation of many generations. And shall be called the repairer of the breach, restorer of paths to dwell in. God put it in his heart to do that kind of work. That was his assignment. The word of God says you have treasure in earth and vessels. You know God to put something in you that can change a nation. It's called treasure. Do you know what's inside you? Treasures. We have treasures on the inner man. Like that woman with the alabaster box, you're holding something, but because of hardness of hearts, nothing can come out of it. 
You constantly come to Jesus, Lord bless me, Lord bless me. And God says, I want to get my hammer on you. I want to crack you first. Oh God, but bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me. Hallelujah, praise the Lord, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And God wants to crack open the hardness of man's heart so that which is good can come forth. <coughs> That's why intercession is a priority until you can cry and weep over the things that have gone wrong then you've got the treasure in but you cannot be a blessing until you unlock the treasure and it's poured out on somebody's feet that's the sign you've got treasure when you begin to pour out your gift brother Gary on somebody's feet brother Phil the gifts you got pour it out at somebody's feet find another brother pour it out at his feet when you begin to do that revival begins to happen God unlocks what's precious within and revival begins to flow. Oh, religious spirits will rise up as well. If we have to change a generation, we've got to get at their feet. We've got to get at their feet. Oh, at their feet. I don't care whether they come in dressed up or not dressed up and how they look. It doesn't make any difference. I'll show you in the scripture in a minute how Nehemiah went about building the certain gates. Amen. So just bear with me just a few minutes. And we will see some divine principles there. But the, the treasures within the earth and vessels, let me take you off down another road. Just a side journey. If the treasure is within earth and vessels, then the songs that God put in you, that's where your prosperity lies. It lies in your singing. Amen? The treasure is in earth and vessels. Where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. So if your heart is in singing, your prosperity is going to be there. If your heart is in going to the mission field, that's where your prosperity is going to be, on the mission field, not working in the store down the road, Brother Gary. If I go on the mission field, I'm going to be broke. No. Where your heart is, your treasure is. Or where your treasure is, your heart is. You can turn it both around. Amen? Oh, if your heart is in business, your prosperity, your treasure is going to be there. Wherever your heart is. Because God puts it in your heart what you are to do. Amen. If it's not of God, get out of it. Oh. You see, the seed is in itself. Nehemiah's heart was in Jerusalem. Pastor Sonny gave me a brilliant illustration. I love this man. Comes up with the most awesome of illustrations. But I think he's going to write a book with a, a billion, million illustrations. He challenged me. So, Pastor Sonny, with your permission, I'm going to use one of them. It's about David Livingstone. He says something radically profound to me the other day. I found out about David's living stone that <clears throat> on his grave he got these words David Livingstone's body is here but his heart is in Africa that's in one of the big uh, cathedrals in England Amen. I've actually seen it <clears throat> it, was, it was said of Bob Moffat <clears throat> that one day he went and he heard he came to England and in one of the meetings he was conducted was David Livingstone. He was training to be a doctor. And Livingstone thought much about being a doctor, but when he, he heard Moffat speak about things he had done in Africa, Livingstone was strangely challenged to do something worthwhile in life. Strangely challenged. And when he heard these particular words, it changed his life forever. Moffat said, when I wake up in the morning, I see the smoke of a thousand villages. A thousand villages. 
you see the smoke that's coming off the thousands of towns and cities of America that are burning up today because the devil is ruining our cities and burning them down to ashes with, it, with its corruption and its filth and its carnality and its pornography and everything else. The devil is tearing up our cities and the devil is burning them down to the ground. But when Livingstone saw it in the spiritual realm, the smoke of a thousand cities Oh, he could do nothing but go. Smoke of a thousand cities. Pastor Kathy, if you don't go, the city's going to burn to the ground. They're going to burn to the ground. All because you said, I'm so, I'm a nobody. I'm just like Nehemiah. A nobody, a nobody, a nobody. And it was said, Pastor Sonny told me about David Livingstone. How that uh, after he went there, uh, Stanley, 25 years later, went to find the man. He hadn't heard much lately of Livingstone. And when he found him, he said to him, he said, why don't you come home with me? You're an old man now. You'll be a hero. Come and die with your people back home there in England. Livingstone replied, I can't return. I'm infected with the same fever that I am treating. I'm infected with the same fever I am treating. Hallelujah. Are you infected with some Holy Ghost fever here tonight? Have something got a hold of you that you can't stop curing diseases? You can't stop routing out sin in your community because you're infected. Oh, you've been aggravated by sin. Oh, you hate sin. It's aggravating you. And you can't stop coming against the powers of darkness because you're infected with the same infection as trying to... Oh... Oh, I'm infected tonight. There's something burning me up on the inside. Burning me up on the inside. I must do what God told me to do about America. I must get out of my comfort zone. I must do it. I must do it. I must do it. I'd rather do it and fail. Misery, Pastor Sonny, than die and get before God. And God says, look, Paul Thomas, see this picture here? See this picture here? See this picture here? The multitudes of people in it. Yes, he say, those are the souls you would have won if you had gone, Brother Donnie. Oh. Let's quit thinking we are nothing and nobody and can't do it. That's a lie from the devil himself. Oh. And then what they do to... This was powerful. When he went and he found... He found that Livingstone, he left Livingstone. Livingstone didn't come back to England. But then when they heard about a year later about his death, this is pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. He said that uh, uh, England sent an assignment of troops uh, to get Livingstone's body back. Mm, that's something. But the old warriors put up a fight and said, you can't have his body. And one of the warriors, Pastor Sonny, took his, took his dagger out and cut out his heart cut out his heart and said his heart stays here heart stays here and Pastor Sonny told me that boy powerful his heart stays here you can take his body back but his heart stays here 
Is that you tonight? That your heart is in Waco, Texas. Your heart is in America. Your heart is in Wales. Your heart is in India. No matter where you go, with your body, your heart is there. Oh, shaka dalla bossudiaka Where is your heart? Have you got a divided heart? Have you got a sick heart? Oh, what heart have you got? A stony heart. What kind of heart have you got? A barren heart. Have you got a heart? The heart of God. Have you got the heart of God for your community and land? Oh, Kashika Labariana God that put it in his heart. I want it forever to be said that my heart was in America. My home may be in Wales, but my heart is here. And real, this is my real home, because home is where the heart is. If your heart is there, you're not at home unless you go there. Home is not where you're brought up, it's where your heart is. Hallelujah. Oh, I feel like beating the old devil up tonight. Amen. And I beat him up with my preaching. Amen. Because I can preach harder than I can kick him. Hallelujah, Brother Gary. Oh, if the devil was a physical being, I, I, he wear me out. But with the power of God in the mouth, the words, we overcome the devil. Hallelujah. Glory. They overcome him by the word, the testimony, and the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We overcome him. We overcome. We are overcomers. Oh, I'm going to my last point. We are the generation that will rebuild the cities. Nehemiah began to rebuild the cities. If you look there, it says about all the different gates. Mm, the word of God says in Isaiah 64, 61.4, about the generation of champions it says they will rebuild and renew the ruined cities that have been devastated by generations generations we are a generation on assignment and you have noticed here oh it says in 3 verse 1 it says the sheep gate 3 verse 3 the fish gate 3 verse 6 the old gate Verse 13, the valley gate. Verse 14, the dung gate. Verse 15, the fountain gate. Verse 20, the water gate. Verse 28, the house horse gate. Verse 29, the east gate. There's spiritual significance. Listen to this. First of all, we've got to build up a sheep gate. Build a sheep up. Amen? Build a sheep up. Secondly, we've got to build up the fish gate. In other words, before we build up, before we can go out there and bring them in, the, the, the fish, amen, the fish, we've got to build up a sheep gate, amen. Let's get ourselves built up, then we go out and bring the fish through the fish gate. So Nehemiah, first of all, built the sheep gate. Then he built up the fish gate, amen. Right. <clears throat> and then they built up the old gate. The old gate is the old foundations. Where God exhausts us. Not to depart from the old landmarks. You see, we are to build up the old landmarks. Landmarks. And then we to build on them. And build higher than them. But always build on them. Don't take them away. Build up upon them. Amen. Don't take them away. Build upon them. I'm building on my Pentecostal doctrine. Hallelujah. Apostolic doctrine. Doctrine of Christ. Hallelujah! Building upon it! Oh, don't tear down what your father built. 
build upon it. You might not like the legalism of it, but do away with that, because that wasn't of God. But build upon was doctrinally sound, radically profound, life-changing, and God-honoring, and Jesus-pleasing. Hallelujah. And leave the rest of the junk alone, but build on the sure foundation. Hallelujah. And look what it says there. It says there, when you build on the foundation and go through the valley gate, Oh, there are many people out there in the valley. Valley of decision. Valley of decision. You've got to build up the valley gate. You've got to find where people's valley is. Meet them at a valley experience. Just like the God met you at your valley experience. Oh, once you've got your foundation right, you can begin to win the lost. You can begin to make an impact. But you've got to have the foundation gate correctly placed. And then it says the dung gate purpose was to provide inhabitants with means of disposal of garbage oh notice it comes after the fish are hooked you don't clean them before you bring them in <laughs> first of all the fish gate then afterwards the dung gate in other words bring your garbage to church amen come clean before the Lord but <laughs> you hunger get clean before you come through the gate come through the gate and then the Holy Ghost will clean you up amen you say, how can you say that? Because the next gate was the fountain gate. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath. First of all, he got plunged beneath. As a sinner, he got to go beneath the flood. Lose all the guilty stains. Hallelujah. You don't clean them up and then get them filled. No, what I mean to say is you get them into church and then as they are, let them come to God and let God clean them up for you. Hallelujah. If the Holy Ghost can't clean your life up, forget it. You never do it. So let us accept the people who can be weirdos coming in. Oh, they're not going to stand up and sing and clap like we do. They're going to look around and think we're mad and think we're crazy and they will be right. But we've got to bring them in, Gary. Hallelujah. And then let the fountain, the water, purify the dung out of their soul. Hallelujah. Let God do that. Let God do that. And then they will stay, Brother Gary. They will stay. Oh, and then the water gate. God is restoring the water gate. Speaks of the restoration of the word and the gospel. And then the horse gate. That means you've got to begin to carry some people's burdens. And then the east gate, the gate which Jesus comes through. Amen. Hallelujah. Oh, I'm coming to an end. I read a story today about Tommy Barnett. I found very interesting. Tommy Barnett was in left Phoenix, Arizona, big church there, mega thousands. And he went <clears throat> to Los Angeles, California. He wanted to build a church downtown. He was advised not to. People said, what can you do building a church in downtown Los Angeles? You can't do that. You will fail. So he started to build a church. <laughs> when somebody tells you to fail and you're not of God, then you know you're about to succeed, brother, don't you? Oh, <clears throat> so he took the oldest church there, come out of the Azusa Street Revival. The pastor retired, 83 years old, and Tommy Barnett put his son in charge, a teenager. He, he went from the oldest pastor to the youngest pastor in the denomination, and people began to leave. It's a good sign. Because God's getting rid of all the dead wood and bringing in some new life. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. People began to go and go and his father was very discouraged because he'd come from a big church. 
And he knew his son was discouraged, but his son never confessed any discouraging word. And Matthew, his son, just kept on building. You know what he done? He set up his office outside the church on the street. <clears throat> it was a Hispanic community. He couldn't speak Spanish, so he went for Spanish lessons a few hours every week. He learned Spanish. <laughs> and when people went past, he talked to them in Spanish. And, and when he began to talk, people thought, you crazy, an office outside, what are you doing? He began to communicate the gospel. He began to tell them about the Lord. And then he built a patio for him to play the uh, basketball. And they came. And then more came. And more came. And then he built another concrete slab, laid it down for a weights room, gymnasium. And more came and more came. And he began getting involved in the community. Oh, he began to do a work there. Within 88 months, within eight months, the Los Angeles church had 900 people. We're crowding in the building, and through outreaches and services, 5,000 were being touched each week. That's in America. As of 1999, the Los Angeles Church holds 42 different services, ministers to nine different ethnic churches, each with its own language and pastor. They have 27 different children's meetings. It is now one of the nation's fastest growing, reaching churches. Reaching out to about 30,000 people. Isn't that powerful? Oh, hallelujah. What are we building? We've got to build like Nehemiah built. We've got to begin to build. We've got to begin to build. We've got to build up those old gates. Amen? Begin to build up those old gates. Begin to build up those old gates. Build up those old gates. Build them up. Build them up. Build them up. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is about to do something dynamic. The Word of God says you are a chosen generation. Do you know you are chosen tonight by God? Hallelujah. Chosen to do something significant. I haven't got time to complete the story of Nehemiah. But I want to tell you, Nehemiah built something powerful and so can you. Amen. God is going to use you. Hallelujah. To build up something awesome. But have the heart to build Get God's strategy to build. And then, bit by bit, Brother Gary, take rest, house by house, street by street. Amen. Take it bit by bit. Don't start off taking a city. Take the house next door. Then take the next house. And then the next house. And then the next house. And then the next house. And as you build up each gate to each house, you will eventually build a city of God. Oh, if you will shut every gate here, build up every breach, repair every breach, restore every path, God is going to use you to impact this generation. Will you be a memory or will you be a legacy? I'm going to close with these just few, few thoughts. What's the difference between a memory or a legacy? David Livingstone left a legacy. A man who brought revival, impacted a nation, changed lives, and still today, after his death, revival is still being birthed, nations are still being impacted, and lives are still being changed. That's a legacy. A person who so follows Christ that others follow him, that's a legacy. A living legacy refuses to live life in the norm. Instead, he chooses to live life in the now. That's a legacy. 
A person who would rather die fulfilling his call than live without reaching his destiny. That's a legacy. Person who sacrifices status, position, promotion, prosperity in order to possess souls, Christ, and change a continent for God. That's a legacy. Legacies are birthed by legendaries that outlive life. Memories are birthed by miseries that outmaster the moment. A dying memory is a product of a man too bad on a purpose to be a blessing to others. Legacies are what you find at the altars of a church sanctuary. Memories are what you find at the graveyard or the church cemetery. What will it be, a memory or a legacy? Princess Diana died a few years ago. Elton John sang a, a song which was to become the requiem for her. It was Candle in the Wind. But I want to tell you, her memory, the memory of Diana will go. But the legacy of Jesus lives on. Because a candle can blow out with the wind, but a light will shine on for eternity. You've got the light of Jesus in you. That's why you, a legacy, will live on throughout time and through eternity. You are a legacy about to be born. Brother Phil, you will leave a legacy. Amen. You will leave a legacy, says the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. You will leave a legacy. You will reach your destiny. You will impact the generation, Brother Gary, Sister Sabrina. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. You will. Because your heart is in the word. Your heart is in it. Your heart is in it. Hallelujah. Let's rise up. Let's stand up. Father, in the name of Jesus. Lord, you said, Son, give me thine heart. Son, give me thine heart. Hallelujah. Lord, take hold of my heart. Take hold of our hearts, Lord. In the spirit realm, it is already accomplished. <laughs>